This is Right From The Deep. I'm Karen Ball. And I'm Erin Taylor-Young. And this is the podcast from writers for writers, answering the question, why am I doing this? Right. As writers, editors, and a former literary agent, we're in the deep with you, encouraging you and equipping you to find your truest story in the deep places. Get our show notes and more, including a free audio download on how to safeguard your writer's heart at writefromthedeep.com. Hey guys, want to know what's happening at Right From The Deep? Well, here you go. Thanks, as always, to our patrons on Patreon. You guys are amazing. Yes. Patreon is a platform that enables creatives to get paid. You know, it takes time and money, and we say this every time, but it's true. It takes time and money to put together these podcasts and pay for the hosting. So our dear patrons on Patreon help make this podcast possible. You can find out more information at Patreon, P-A-T, E-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash right from the deep. And thanks so much to our September sponsor of the month, Priscilla Shero. She's working on her memoir called Bonked, Life, Love, and Laughter with Traumatic Brain Injury. And I just love Priscilla, and I love that title, um, which uh, that book should be coming out at some point from Redemption Press. So I'm excited about that. And you can learn more about Priscilla at her website. It's P-R-I-S-C-I-L-L-A. S-H-A-R-R-O-W.com. And you can follow her blog for the TBI PTSD community. And we want to give a shout out to Mr. Mike McClellan Yay, at Mike. Podcast PS. That's Podcast PS. He is the wonderful guy who does our sound editing for soul. <laughs> yes. We love him. And by the way, he's a talented musician who also writes theme music for podcasts. You can find out more about him at PodcastPS.com. That's right. Mike listens to all our mistakes. <laughs> Another thing, I am going to be at the Florida Christian Writers Conference in Leesburg, Florida, October 20th through 24th. Uh, this year, coming up soon, I'll be representing Wild Heart Books, and I'll be taking pitches and appointments for them, so that's exciting. And I will also be teaching a session called, Did God Really Ask You to Write? And as we've told you in the past, we have a sponsorship from Novel Marketing Podcast with host Thomas Umstadt Jr. His podcast is the longest running book marketing podcast in the world. We agreed to the sponsorship because we know and trust Thomas and his podcast is so full of great information and advice. In fact, one of his recent episodes was on how to write book reviews readers will want to read. Yeah, and we'll link to that in the show notes. And I love this episode, you guys, because it covered a useful skill writers could use to help build a following among readers. Thomas talks about different kinds of reviews and different angles you can take on your reviews. I, I thought it was very informative. He also talks about how to write reviews that are not boring. I think uh, he also should add in there writing reviews that don't give away the twist in the storyline in novels. Too many reviewers do that. So when you write reviews, don't do that. Don't give away. Well, yeah, and he talks about that. Actually, he addresses that when you can and when you can't. So I thought it was really interesting. 
That's great. If you want to attract readers to your writing, writing reviews is an interesting way that not only helps readers get to know you and your style, but they love you for providing useful information for them. They want to find new books to read. People are looking all the time. I encourage you to check out this episode of Novel Marketing in your favorite podcast app or at novelmarketing.com, where you can find plenty of other book promotion and platform help as well. And we've been sharing wonders with you. And today is my turn. And I got to thinking, I found these chairs finally for this <laughs> table that we have in our kitchen. Um, and that's not really the wonder, though. <laughs> the wonder is it got me thinking about why I needed chairs, which was because we needed a new table, which was because when we were moving, the movers, like, you know, the, the company was only going to pay for so many pounds. And we had this big, big, heavy Amish table that had like 10 leaves. Okay, we did not need this giant table. And we're like, you know what, we should we should find something else, another home for this table. But we didn't know, like, you know, how to do that. And time was running out, we were going to have to pay the extra pounds to move the table. And we really didn't want to. And I was at church. And I happened to see a friend I hadn't seen for a little bit, I stopped to chat with her. And she introduced me to this young couple. And they're like, yeah, we're new in town. And I forget what the husband's job was, but the wife was like, I'm going to be a coach for a women's team at a, at a university here. And I'm like, oh, nice. Nice to meet you. Welcome to our town. Hey, you need a table? <laughs> like, hey, you know, this is what we always say when we introduce ourselves. And they look at me and they're like, you know, yeah, actually, we do need a table. And I'm like, well, let me explain. This is a really big table. It literally has 10 leaves and there's like 10 chairs. Do you need a table like that by any chance? And their mouths are like dropping open. And they're, they say to me, one of the things we really want to do is have some of these members of the team over for dinner. Like we want to have like 20 people over and we can share the love of Christ with them. This, these women are not going to be Christians necessarily. So we want to witness to them and share our lives with them and love on them. And we would love, this is like our ministry, we want to have them over for dinner and we don't have a table. And I'm like, oh, now my mouth is hanging open, right? But it was just like, and there there it was. You know, all we had to do really was wait for God to open the right door and tell us, hey, this is what you should do with your table. And, I, and they're like, should we buy it? I'm like, no, I'm giving it to you. You're saving me money. And it was a joy for us. It was a joy for us to do that because you know what? Alan and I got to participate in a ministry we would otherwise never have been able to participate in. For any of you who have, you know, tasted my cooking or lack thereof, you'll know I'm not going to be hosting 20 women at my house for a meal. But this other gal was. But I feel like I have a part in that. And and the things that are shared around that table, I'm not there but I have a I have a little tiny little share and it's so exciting. And to me, that's the wonder. Look around, you guys. Look at the things that are in your life or the people in your life that have shared with you or that you've shared with them. We are a connected body. And I feel like one of the joys is going to be getting to heaven and seeing how all of these connections have made a difference and brought God glory and shown people the love of Christ. To me, that's a wonder. Amen. Thank you, Aaron. And now, here's, here's the, the show. show. 
Welcome, listeners. We're glad you've joined us here today in the deep. Now, we've talked about decision fatigue in our last episode, episode 149, and we mentioned that habits can help us reduce the number of decisions we have to make every day. And then in episode 146, we covered five things no one told you about the writing journey. And one of those things was that you need to add more healthy habits into your life than you realize. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to those episodes, we'll link to the show notes. I encourage you to go ahead and check them out. But today, we want to help you put healthy habits into practice by covering how to build habits. Not only that, but how to build these habits in a way that doesn't take Herculean effort. Right. Let's face it. Sometimes we see a person who has all kinds of great habits and we think that must be the most disciplined person in the world, but she's probably really not. And you don't need to be either. That's the good news. There are secrets to building great habits and we're going to share them with you. So let's start with a simple definition so we all know exactly what we're talking about. What is a habit? First, a couple definitions from Webster's. It's a settled tendency or a usual manner of behavior, or it's an acquired mode of behavior that has become nearly or completely involuntary, meaning you do it so much you do it without thinking, and therein lies the key. Right. And I like uh, how James Clear in his book, Atomic Habits, defines a habit. He says, it's a routine or behavior that is performed regularly and in many cases, automatically. So Atomic Habits is a useful book. It has lots of information and ideas and examples, and we've taken the bulk of the material for this podcast from it. But I'll tell you, it's worth the time to read because we cannot cover the whole book. (laughs) So I do recommend that to you. Another book on habits is Charles Duhigg's book, The Power of Habit. We'll link to those in the show notes. So James Clear argues in Atomic Habits, he says, and this is a quote, Changes that seem small and unimportant at first will compound into remarkable results if you're willing to stick with them for years. I agree with this, you guys. I think it helps us to put habits in a more user-friendly light, too. You know, habits shouldn't be about radically changing your lifestyle to incorporate 50 new regimens. Instead, creating habits is about implementing small changes that accumulate over time into the kind of lifestyle you've always wanted, but maybe thought you weren't disciplined enough to have. So let me reiterate that these changes accumulate over time and make a difference over time if you stick to them. The effects of habits generally don't operate on a linear progression. I know for some of you that's very disturbing. For people who (laughs) ping pong all over the place in their brains who are like I am, it's, it's fine. We're comfortable with that. So no, you can't go from being a couch potato to a marathon runner in one week any more than you can instantly go from being a person who can't seem to find time to write to a person who produces a novel every six months in a matter of days or even weeks. Right. But you could do those things over time if you developed the right habits and overcame the wrong ones. Now, there's nothing wrong with having goals like that to run a marathon or write a novel in six months. But this is counterintuitive. James Clear says that one of the secrets to helping people build habits is to focus not so much on the goal as on the process. And he gives a great example about cleaning a messy room. If you manage to overcome the inertia and get that thing clean 
cleaned up, you've got this momentary change. Your room is clean. You've solved your problem at a surface level. But if you're not a tidy person to begin with, that room is going to be messy again very soon. And you will be back to square one trying to figure out how to clean it up. But if you focus on your system, on creating habits that a tidy person would have, then you'll be solving your problem at the systems level. And you're not going to have that messy room to begin with. So let's pull this back to writing. Writing a novel is a wonderful success that lots of people never achieve, but it's also just one achievement in time. Being a consistent, dependable, productive writer is a lifestyle. If you build habits that focus on the systems level of that lifestyle, you can write one book or just as easily you can write 30 books. That kind of productivity becomes much less daunting if that's what you want to do. So how do you build a habit? Well, James Clear's book breaks habits down into a four-step process. This is a predictable pattern, and it helps because our brains like things that are predictable. Our brains lean toward the predictable. They're always trying to figure out what's happening around us and how to respond in the way that's most satisfactory to us. And remember, this is about what's satisfactory to you, not other people. This is trusting your brain to help you figure it out. So when our behavior results in good consequences, our brain says, hey, that was good. Remember that. Do it again. When the consequences are negative, our brain says, yeah, let's not do that one again. Right. So the pattern of habit is cue, craving, response, and reward. And let's just take those one at a time here. The cue is a trigger that causes your brain to initiate a behavior. It's a situation your brain recognizes and ties to a reward. So let's we're just going to use this as an example because I think it's easy to, um, to explain. So for example, you come home from work to the smell of cookies baking in the oven because let's imagine you have a wonderful spouse who loves to bake. And sometimes when you come home, there are cookies in the oven. And actually, I do have a spouse who's wonderful and loves to bake. <laughs> So this could be a reality for me. So sometimes when you come home, there are cookies in the oven. Your brain knows that the smell of cookies often ends in a delicious, satisfying taste experience in extravaganza in your mouth. And this wonderful aroma of cookies leads you to the next step of the habit pattern, craving. And what is craving? You want that delicious cookie. You desire that cookie. You are motivated to get and eat that cookie. And it's not because it's an attractive round shape or color, although it may be a perfectly lovely cookie. What you're really after is that delicious taste sensation that happens when you eat a cookie. Without motivation, you have no reason to act. Without a spouse making cookies, you don't come home to a cookie smell. But we'll pretend you do have that spouse. So here is the cookie smell. What do you do? you make a response. Right. And the response is the third step of the pattern. The response is the behavior you do because of the craving. It's the behavior that's the actual habit, okay? Now, a response does depend on how motivated you are and how much resistance or friction there would be to carrying out the behavior. For example, maybe you just came home from having dental work done. You've had seven cavities. Your tongue is completely numb 
gum and you couldn't taste anything much less chew. That's a lot of friction. You're probably not going to actually eat that cookie. But most of the time, a plate of your favorite cookies fresh out of the oven will generate the response of eating one. And this will bring you to the last step of the pattern, your reward. The reward is the delicious taste sensation. Rewards are the whole reason you do the behavior. James Clear calls rewards, quote, the end goal of every habit, unquote, because they satisfy our cravings. They also teach us which behaviors we should repeat. And personally, I feel that eating a cookie when you come home is a behavior to repeat. <laughs> Although, if your spouse's cookies always taste great, your brain will want to repeat the reward over and over. But if your spouse has an unfortunate and consistent problem following recipes and salt frequently gets substituted for sugar, the terrible taste will be a negative reward and your brain will urge you not to eat those cookies no matter how they smell. So if you have a cue that triggers a craving and the craving motivates a response and the response provides a positive reward that satisfies the craving, you follow all that? <laughs> Cue triggering a craving, craving motivates a response, and the response provides a positive reward. That becomes a cycle you're going to repeat. The reward will eventually become associated with the cue, and you will have a habit loop. Right. And let's give another quick example of a habit, um, a habit loop here. Maybe it's putting on a seatbelt when you get in the car. The cue is the location you get in the car. The craving is you want to travel safely. Uh, for me, I had driver's ed and they showed us terrible movies about crashes. So I want to not have a crash where I'm thrown out of my vehicle. So the response is I put on my seatbelt and the reward is I'm not injured during that trip. Now, okay, lots of times you don't get into an accident, but if you do, chances are you were safer because of your seatbelt. And like me, I mean, I know somebody whose life was saved by their seatbelt. So, you know, I'm okay with this reward. Um, now, if you don't know somebody who was, you know, injured, or if you know somebody who was injured because of their seatbelt, that could actually work as a negative reward. So maybe they don't wear a seatbelt, but that's, that's how it works. So ultimately, you know, most of us are putting on that seatbelt without thinking about it because habits become unconscious. All right, so so how do we implement habits? All this stuff that we've shared with you, it's fine and dandy information. But are you sitting here like I am thinking, where's the part about this being easy, about not needing to be a hyper-disciplined person? Because I am not a hyper-disciplined person. I am not even a disciplined person. <laughs> <laughs> I am somebody who loves to go with the flow and do whatever seems right in the moment. So... Finding the easiness in implementing habits comes in understanding a few tricks to make habits easy to start. This is where James Clear's book really shines and becomes worth the read. We only have time to give you a few of his tips. But before we start with his tips, I want to mention one thing that will make this all far easier than you can imagine, and that's take it to God. Ask him to help you to trigger for you when you encounter something. You know how people are always saying, here's my prayer request. Please pray for this person. Please pray for that person. I used to say, yes, I will pray. Or I would type on social media praying. And then I'd move on to the rest of my day. I didn't like that. I didn't feel good about that. In essence, I felt like I was lying to them. So I asked God that the minute somebody made a prayer request, that he would trigger me if I started to type praying or I will pray, that I would stop and I would pray in that moment. 
God has been so faithful. And whenever I started to just type out, I'll pray or whatever, he would stop me. And I would just have some prayer time with him in that moment for that request. Now it's second nature for me. I I did it so often that I don't even have to think about it. And I know that when I've typed in, I will pray or I'm praying. It's true. And I have done it. So take it to God and ask him to help you know what is the best trigger and what is the best way to do this. So the first trip from James Clear's book is make a time and place plan. Two of the most common cues that initiate a habit are time and place. If you want to develop a new habit, decide in advance where and when you'll do it. So if you want to develop a habit of exercise, let's say walking every day, then determine when and where you will walk. This actually works, you guys. There was an experiment done about exercise in Great Britain, and it showed that participants who made a time and a place plan, they were far more likely to follow through and actually exercise. And let's go back to Karen in her typing. She actually does have a cue now, and it's a time and it's a place, and it's right here, right now. Right, <laughs> She's right. typing, praying. That is her cue, and it works. And thank God that he does those things. You know, I totally agree. Pray that God will help you with these cues. Um, So again, go back, pick a specific time that happens every day. Let's say you're trying to start a new habit. Pick a time that happens every day without fail and a place that's easy to get to. So maybe you'll say, every morning right after breakfast, I'll walk around the block. Every morning does happen every day, but that's not very specific. (laughs) So after breakfast is specific, especially if you eat breakfast every day like I do. And the place around the block is simple. There's no friction there. You don't have to drive there. You just go out your door. Another benefit to making a plan, a time and place plan, is that then you don't have to make a new decision to do this thing. You've already made it when you made the plan. And then your job is just follow through with the plan you already made. Some other examples of those kinds of plans. Maybe you want to say at noon every day, I will stand up and stretch for 10 minutes. That's nice and specific and nice and easy. Or if you want to say, before I get out of bed every morning, I will be still and listen to God for 10 minutes. Psalm 4610 even encourages us to do this. It says, be still and know that I am God. Now, the first condition is be still. And in that stillness, you will learn and you will know that God is who he says he is. Good, identifiable, measurable goal. So to help you pick a good time to plan your habit, make a list of things that happen in your life every day without fail. That will give you more flexibility and options than you may think of otherwise. You can also think about what are your pivotal times of the day? You know, pick that time where the habit can alter the course of your day. For example, I know that I do my best in a day if I exercise first thing in the morning. That's pivotal for me. So for me, that's become the key to starting my whole day off right. So that's the time I'm going to pick to do exercising. The next tip is to stack your habits. Sometimes the easiest way you get a new habit started is to attach it to a habit you already have. One simple example of this is if you wanted to build a habit of flossing your teeth, you could stack it on top of brushing your teeth, assuming brushing is something you do every day. (laughs) So there you go. Another example is something I do. I eat a protein bar every morning. I cannot get my workday started without food. So that's when I also pick the time to do my Bible study, my Bible 
Bible reading. It's linked to a habit now. So I grab my protein bar and I grab my Bible. And I know that I'm very unlikely to skip Bible reading because I am extremely unlikely to skip my protein bar. I also have a habit that um, I have very sensitive teeth. And so my dentist started me on this toothpaste that I have to brush with first thing in the morning and last thing at night. Well, the thing is, I cannot eat or drink anything for 30 minutes after using that toothpaste. You brush, you spit, you don't rinse, and then you wait 30 minutes before you consume anything. So while I'm waiting for my 30-minute toothpaste stall, I walk you know, I, I take the doggies out and I go for a walk. And that's my trigger. I spit and I take the dogs and I walk. Stacking your habits can become an extremely powerful means of creating a lifestyle that you want or need. Personally, I suffer from severe chronic insomnia and I need every possible help that I can get when it comes to falling asleep. So after habit stacking, I've come to the point where I have this whole wind down routine every night. It takes into consideration things like the lighting and the temperature and what I'm focusing on and all these things. It starts like an hour before bedtime. And it's truly helped. And I know one of the reasons why it's effective is that not only am I doing the right things to help prepare for sleep, I'm also not making any decisions about whether I want to do some specific thing or not. I'm just doing it. And I'm letting my mind go to the places it needs to go to for calmness and for sleep. Now, Randy Ingermanson in his advanced fiction writing e-zine has a whole article on habits and what he called his daily startup habit. And we'll link to that in the show notes because it gives you another real life example of how you can powerfully use habit stacking. There's another key to stacking habits, and that's to make sure you pick a good time and a compatible habit. Think about it. Flossing your teeth goes pretty well with brushing them. You're doing the same thing. It's easy to do one and then do the other. But if you're brain dead in the morning before your first cup of coffee, don't stack a habit of writing before your coffee. And maybe not even after, depending on how long it takes you to wake up and get your brain in gear. If you love to eat messy barbecue chicken wings for lunch, don't decide your lunch hour is the best place to stack a habit of writing either. Because you're going to have to clean yourself up. And you know darn well, once you start cleaning yourself up, you'll think of something else to do. Oh, yeah, the laundry. (laughs) Got to do the laundry. And before you know it, your day is gone. Oh, you got a keyboard full of barbecue. (laughs) Yeah, that too. So one of the things James Clear suggests is that you do a habit inventory before you think about what new habits you want to start and which habits you might want to stack. It's good to be thoroughly familiar with what you're already doing. Habits you like and want to keep as well as habits you don't like and that you want to stop. Right. The next tip to help make starting a habit easier is to make your cues as obvious as possible. Remember, a cue is what begins the habit loop. It's the reminder. So a simple example of how important visual reminders or visual cues can be is the end caps in bookstores, right? Those are prime places that publishers pay extra money for. They want these potential buyers to see and crave those lovely covers and books. Now, I have a medication that I need to take every night. It's, yes, part of my nighttime routine, but is also on my 
my nightstand. That's an obvious visual cue for me. When I wanted to be sure I was practicing guitar every day, I had it sitting out on a stand, not put away in a case. The healthy snacks at my house are in the shelves at eye level, and the chocolate is way down on the bottom shelf. Those are just visual cues. So when you're trying to start a new habit, ask yourself, what can you do to create an environment that encourages your habit? I mean, maybe if you want to become the type of person who eats only healthy snacks, I'm not sure I know anybody like that, but if you want to become a person like that, then only have healthy snacks in your house. James Clear says, quote, if you want to make a habit a big part of your life, make the cue a big part of your environment, unquote. Okay, so let's go back to wanting that habit of writing every day. Create a dedicated place in your home where you write. You see the space, it triggers the cue to write because it signals to you that you want to be the type of person who wants to write. And the next tip is to increase the temptation of your habit. Now, this is a simple trick, okay? If there's a habit you want to start that you don't really anticipate you're going to like very much, bundle it with another activity or habit that you really like. So maybe you love looking at puppies on Instagram. I confess, I do that. <laughs> Who doesn't love puppies, okay? But maybe you hate processing your email. So you can say something like, after I have my coffee every day, so you're picking a time, I will process email. After I process email, I will look at puppies for five <laughs> minutes. Or maybe you want to start a habit of eating one vegetable snack per day. You could say, at three o'clock, while I have that stinking afternoon vegetable snack, I will look at puppies. <laughs> Again, this would totally work for me. So, that would work for me as well. But what also works for me is making sure that we keep our podcasts short enough for you to listen to them as you're developing the habit of listening to them. So we are <laughs> going to stop here, but there's plenty more and you will get that in our next podcast. Yes, we have much more to share with you, more tips on starting habits, on making them easy, and then some tips on how to stop those habits that you don't want to follow anymore. Until then, think about it all. Pray about it. Ask God to show you what you need to add in habits to your life to make you more effective in this task that he's given you as a writer. And so we'll see you again at our next podcast. Thanks for joining us today. You can find previous episodes and more resources at writefromthedeep.com. And I bet you know someone who needs this podcast, so please share it with them. So until next time, embrace the deep. Your writing and your life will never be the same. Mm -hmm.